We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how are we doing? Great to have you with us today. Glad to have you uh, along for the show. Jesse Steyer's on board. I'm Sean Steyer's, of course. And I- I'm just full up front doing a little MacGyvering today. The uh, <laughs> the power at my house at my house is out, so I'm running everything right now off battery power. My computer's on battery power, and I've got my hotspot on my phone on battery power and all that kind of good stuff. So Hopefully, I think we've got enough juice to get through this show. I hope we've got enough enough juice to get get us through this show. Jesse, I hope you've got enough juice to get us through this show. We'll see where we go, though. It it uh, like I said, it 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 should be an interesting one. Like if you you know if you watch the show on YouTube before and you see my background, then uh, you know you notice it looks a little bit different today than how it usually looks. So. How you doing, Jess? I'm doing good. I have all of my power. I'm all juiced up. <laughs> I think I can for provide you. more juice today if need, if need be. I hope I hope so. I hope that's the case. Uh, we've got a USC writer. RJ Abadia is going to join me a little bit later in the show. <laughs> so uh, we've got that going on. He's going to join me a little bit. We're going to discuss, you know, all the different stuff, obviously, with, you know, USC and UCLA started this thing, so we'll be talking about that later. Uh, the Pac-12. The Pac-12, both their present and future. What's going to happen with the Pac-12? There's just all kinds of stuff coming out of there right now. You've got Pac-12 schools talking to the Big 12. You've got um, probably the two biggest remaining schools in the Pac-12, Washington and Oregon, sounding like they're going to kind of stay put, you know, so – we will see. There's, you know, again, all kinds of stuff going on. As always, just a friendly reminder, watching on the YouTube, throw us a like, subscribe. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, listening on one of the many audio platforms, follow us, rate us, throw a comment or two, you know, whatever. I, I'm actually watching it rain right now. I was considering with, you know, with the power being out, I was considering doing this show on my uh, back patio today. But of course, it started raining just as 
the show was starting. So I guess at least I made the wise decision to look at the weather forecast <laughs> and see that that uh, it was going to rain. So I'm not sitting out in the rain right now. Uh, before we get into the main topic of the day and, and uh, the title of the show, can Notre Dame potentially save college football? And I know, you know, there's already some people I've seen who say, oh, that's some hyperbole and all that kind of stuff. Well, just wait, just wait, you know, kind of hear how the conversation goes. Notre Dame baseball, unfortunately, uh, another pitcher in the transfer portal, Jack Findlay this afternoon, the freshman All-American in the transfer portal. So you've got, you know, half of the pitching staff in the transfer portal right now. And of course, you've got a coaching change. How much that impacts things, I don't know. Um, and, and how much, you know, like this could all sort of hinge on, you know, does Chuck Ristano get the job, for example, the longtime pitching coach? He is still a candidate from, you know, from what I've been able to glean. Um, you know, so these guys are in the portal. They can always pull their name back out, but for right now they're in the portal. But who knows what's going to happen? You know, and it's, it's like you you always expect some of this, Jess, when there's a coaching change, but it's just unfortunate, uh, especially considering the great strength of this team was their pitching. And then you've essentially got one of the two best pitchers on the team, the freshman All-American, the lefty Findlay in the portal now. That's that's just, it's it's not good news to hear by any means. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, and it's it's especially tough to hear because of what you were talking about. Jack Finley was so young, and he really play, pitched his best baseball when they needed him the most, and that was during their NCAA tournament run. Seeing him live on the mound, the, the energy he brings from the left side, the way that he controls the mound, the demeanor he had for a freshman was very impressive. So to see him go into the transfer portal, uh, it was a little hurt, hurtful to see. I didn't want to see it happen. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for Notre Dame, you know, this is kind of the things that happen when you have a coaching changeover and especially uh, when you have a guy like Link uh, leaving the team. But like you said, you know, things are still so up in the air. 
Um, maybe, you know, Notre Dame makes a splash, a splash in the higher um, and, and bring in a guy that's really renowned and, and, you know, can kind of pick up where Link left off. And you could see some of those guys kind of pull their name out of that transfer portal. That's the best case uh, in that situation. Right. Uh, Drunk Vigo, appreciate the comment. Yes, yeah, spoiler alert, Elvis does die, <laughs> as we found out yesterday. I don't know if Drunk Vigo went and saw the Elvis movie, but uh, yeah. And just for you on this one, Jess, you might have to finish the show. We will find out, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And again, we've got the uh, interview with RJ Abadia from uscfootball.com a little bit later. I wanted to kind of get into the Notre Dame conversation with this, though, Jess, because you, you know, you've been around, you grew up here in South Bend, Notre Dame fan, followed Notre Dame football your whole life, everything Notre Dame football, you know, whether it's Notre Dame football, Notre Dame men's or women's basketball, Notre Dame baseball, a fan your whole life, you followed it your whole life, but you went to college in the state of Michigan, not to the University of Michigan, Siena Heights, but which is not far from uh, Ann Arbor, but then you went to grad school in Toledo and, uh, you know, then you lived in Ann Arbor, you know, not in Ann Arbor, but between Ann Arbor and Detroit for a little bit. Now you've lived in Cleveland for uh, uh, more than a year. So it's basically, you know, like the heart of Big Ten country, Michigan and Ohio, those two states for eight plus years. So as a Notre Dame fan, I'm curious, you know, I'm sure you've heard a lot, you know, a lot of stuff about, you know, Notre Dame in general, you know, Notre Dame should join a conference and that kind of stuff living in, in those states. What what's what what of those conversations, what what kind of things have you heard along those lines living in those two very pro Big Ten states? You know, the argument always comes up between my friends and I, whether or not it's Michigan fans or Ohio State fans, everyone always makes the argument Notre Dame needs to join a conference. When is Notre Dame going to join a conference? Notre Dame won't be legit until they join a conference. This independence thing doesn't do them any good. They don't play for, you know, they don't play a schedule like the Big Ten. They don't play for a conference championship every year. And I think what people fail to realize is that Notre Dame has the leverage in this situation and always will kind of have the leverage because everyone will, not everyone will, everyone wants Notre Dame to be a part of their conference. So in the conversations I've had, it's always, like I said, an argument about, well, when is Notre Dame going to join a conference? And then you have to kind of break it down to them why they don't join a conference and they remain right. independent in football. And then it just becomes a very frustrating back and forth uh, argument of, well, Notre Dame, Notre Dame needs the Big Ten. Well, Notre Dame doesn't need the Big Ten. It would be a nice, you know, a nice addition for the Big Ten. But Notre Dame has proven for years on years that they can stay independent and do what they like. So, you know, that's. That's the central focal point. I think everyone would love to see Notre Dame in the conference because they think they can just beat up on them. Um, but when it comes down to it, Notre Dame has all of the leverage at the end of the day. If they want to join the conference, they can do so. If they don't want to, they don't have to. And I think right. that that's a hard concept for a lot of people to understand is either way, Notre Dame is going to be fine and they don't need a conference for the national attention like everyone thinks that they do. Seven Mules says living in Ohio sucks as a Notre Dame fan because you get Michigan fans and Ohio State fans that don't understand there's life outside of Ohio. Like, you know, living in Ohio, it's funny <laughs> that you brought that comment up. Living in Ohio, the only football team that has ever mentioned is Ohio State. You would think that, you know, there's no such thing as the NFL in the state of Ohio or the fact that they have two NFL teams because all they care about is Ohio State football. It's like the mm -hmm. one cult that everyone can get a part of in the state of Ohio is let's cheer <laughs> for Ohio State football at an unruly yeah. level. 
<laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, another another comment, D-Rock Irish listened to a Georgia podcast earlier today. Former Georgia coach indicating the SEC with a push to have Clemson, Miami, Florida State, North Carolina join the SEC. You know, we, we covered this quite a bit in yesterday's show. And I know that the SEC would want, especially Clemson, and then those other schools, you know, probably kind of, well, I, I was about to say in that order, but Florida State, Miami, you know, North Carolina, I know that they would want them to join the SEC. But again, there is a huge financial um, payment, I guess, you know, obligation that comes with any of these ACC schools that want to get out of their grant of rights contract, you know, contract with the ACC. It, the the contract runs through 2036, and the way it works is if you want to get – if you're an ACC school, let's just say Clemson, and you want to get out of that grant of rights contract with the ACC, you have to pay basically around $26 million, which is the average payout from that contract, for however many years you have left on that contract. So that contract runs through 2035. That is – 14 years. You know, the way we put it yesterday is, okay, if say you waited two years to get out of it, then you're still talking around 330 some million dollars. If you're Clemson, Florida State, whoever it is, you're an ACC school that wants to get out. That's, that's the problem. You know, I mean, now that's, that's good for the ACC, obviously, because, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult. And that's the reason they have this contract. It's going to be very difficult for any of those schools to get out of that contract without going through probably a pretty protracted, you know, courts and hearings, you know, all these different things, you know, lawsuits basically to try to get out of it. I think that's is and again, as we talked about yesterday, it is good for the rest of college football as well, because that essentially keeps the ACC intact for a while. And it, 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 so I think it helps out a lot of people and we're going to get into, you know, to, to some more of that, but you know, it's not good for those schools if they want to get out, but I think it's good for everybody else. And honestly, I think it's good for the rest of college football. And we're going to get into that here in a minute, you know, just as far as it, it pertains to Notre Dame. But I don't think that it is good for college football if these two conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, are running everything. I don't think it is good for college football at all. What do you think about that? No, I agree. I don't think that I, I'm not in favor of what seems to be uh, condensing down to some four, you know, four power conferences when it's all said and done, you know, almost seeing the Pac-12 dissipate, uh, seeing the, the ACC dissipate. I like the, the format that it's in now, but unfortunately, it seems like these conferences know something or might be a little bit ahead of the curve compared to the rest of the, the general public of what may be coming in the future and you know, what the, the, the landscape of college football looks like going forward. Um, but I think, you know, when you when you already hear these conversations about the other Pac-12 schools, uh, you know, getting the opportunity or speaking with the Big 12 to already leave after USC and UCLA left, it, it only makes sense that there might not be a Pac-12 anymore. It You know, right. the conference itself might not even exist in four years. And I think that's – I'm not a fan of that. I liked the way that things were. Maybe that's, you know um, – me being stubborn and resisting change, but the change to me isn't something that I would enjoy. I don't think that going down to these big mega power conferences are, you know, what, what, what would be best for college football. And then you get into the, 
the picture of, okay, then if they do expand the college football playoff, then are the top two teams from each of these, you know, power conferences getting automatic bids into the college football playoff. And there's just a lot to, to discuss, you know, going forward. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. Um, and I wouldn't just like the seeing the PAC 12 dissipate. I wouldn't want to see the ACC dissipate. I like how the conferences are spread across the country. I understand when bigger teams want to join conferences because they've hit that next level. Um, it's like high school sports in, in Indiana. If you win, you're going to start moving up classes because obviously the yeah. uh, the challenge isn't great enough. Success so I don't factor. mind that. Yeah, right. I don't mind like yeah. Cincinnati leaving and going to a Power Five conference because they've taken that step. But I don't like to see in conferences in the in its entirety uh, be eliminated just to to make these mega conferences. Drunk Vigo asks, "Why can't the ACC expand, bro?" And uh, <laughs> well, bro, <laughs> here's the problem. Problem is that grant of rights contract. It's a bad contract. It's the the lowest paying contract of any of the Power Five conferences. Even even the Pac-12 and Big Twelve have a, a little bit better TV contract payouts. And the fact that it runs through 2036. So again, you've got 15 years left on that thing. You're just it's it's not attractive enough, you know, you know, to to be able to lure some of these schools in because you know who wants to jump in and say okay now i'm getting 30 million bucks a year when i could stay in the big 12 and at least i'm getting you know 41 million bucks you know in in that range that's essentially it it's 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 prohibitive for everyone and the former um acc commissioner john swafford is the guy who signed it he essentially took long-term guarantee of whatever money he could get over let's sign a little bit shorter deal and see if we renegotiate, you know, like, and it's it's really coming back to bite him right now. And timing is really in the Big Ten's favor because the Big Ten is the first one of these conferences to have their contract come up. And, and that's why they're going to get this hundred, you know, this hundred, this billion dollar deal, you know, a billion bucks per year and, you know, around a hundred million dollars payout per school per year you know, for, for their, you know, for their school. So, you know, so that's why, yeah. And, and the SEC's already got a deal that's, that's going to pay around that. So that's why the SEC and the big 10 are so attractive to everybody right now, because their payouts and their new TV contracts are going to pay them double pretty you know, at least double what everybody else is getting right now. And I did see um, where uh, yeah, D rock Irish asked about seeing the grant of rights and, uh, Irish Chi-Town said there's a good article on the Clemson Insider that explains it in depth. You know, I know I've read it in some other places, but that it sounds like if you go to Clemson Insider, you can find it if you want to see that grant of rights specifically. There's been, you know, there's been some other articles on it, but it, it's just it's it's really what has made you know the ACC such a non-factor in all of this expansion. They're very fortunate that they have the the, the tie-in with Notre Dame right now but they don't have a whole lot else going for them you know i did the twitter and what fans thought that notre dame should do the options were stay independent join the big 10 join the acc full-time form a new alliance join the acc full-time got two percent of the vote over 700 people voted stay independent was 38 percent join the big 10 is 51 percent you know i'll just go ahead and add you know join the sec as an option as well, even though I didn't even, you know, I didn't have it in the poll. Would your vote just be stay independent as long as you can, basically, if you're Notre Dame, or would it be something else? 
I think my ideal situation right now, kind of piggybacking off what I was talking just a little bit ago, Notre Dame has all of the leverage right now, and it will continue to have all of the leverage when it comes to conferences wanting Notre Dame to join them uh, full time. So I would remain independent as long as possible and see how things unfold a little bit more before, you know, making a major decision like this. I don't think there's anything wrong with sitting back and continuing to be independent because they've proven they have a proven track record of, you know, we can make the college football playoff. We can get to the, the spot that we need to be staying independent. And then we let all these other schools, uh, you know, conference realignment take place. And I think Notre Dame could really sit back and say, all right, well, we're independent. We don't have any, you know, contractual obligations to anyone. Let's now pick the best scenario for where we want to go. I think the best scenario, if they do make that decision, would be the Big Ten. I don't like the the idea of joining the ACC, especially from the football standpoint. Outside of Clemson, you know, there's really not a lot going uh, for the ACC right now. Um, and I don't think that <laughs> their name going to the SEC right off the bat would be the best decision either. I think going to the Big Ten after remaining independent as long as possible would be the ideal situation for Notre Dame. I uh, see. Well, let me just segue into kind of what my feeling is on that. I think stay independent as long as possible, for one. And as we talked about yesterday, what does Notre Dame need to stay in? Independent. One, they need a TV partner. They need a TV contract. They've got that with NBC right now. It doesn't pay anywhere near the ballpark, you know, that even like the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or the ACC are making. But they do get a portion of the ACC contract because of that agreement. They get a total of around 25 million bucks, uh, Notre Dame does annually off their TV contracts. Maybe, you know, when you kick in, you know, with a game or two on Fox and stuff like that, maybe it bumps up a little over 30 million bucks. But Again, if they can keep a TV partner, if they have a path to the college football playoff, those are the two biggest things for them to stay independent. We don't know exactly what the college football playoff path is going to look like going forward. Now, the other thing, they do need a home for the Olympic sports. And, you know, that is important. You know, like as of right now, they have that home through 2036 with the ACC because of that agreement that they have with them. But, you know, again, all this talk about the super conferences and the Big Ten and the SEC running things. My question is, you know, as much as all these people have wanted to talk about Notre Dame's need for being at a conference, you know, and how much, you know, their independence isn't fair, you know, for for a myriad of whatever reasons that people want to say, in the current landscape that's taken shape, could Notre Dame's continued independence and or forming, you know, not necessarily its own conference, but forging a bigger picture partnership be better for college football maybe you know the the whole you know the landscape of college athletics in general if Notre Dame stays that way you know and or forms you know again this this own kind of alliance you know like it's not it's not financially attractive enough as we talked about to join the ACC but you know Notre Dame's got that partnership with the ACC still you know it's it would cost them a lot less to get out of that partnership if they decided to. So maybe they decide to go that route and then, or even they, you know, keep that alliance, but then you sort of form this other alliance because you've got these other two power five conferences to the West of you right now, the big 12 and the PAC 12, and they're trying to figure out what to do. How are they going to survive? And you've got PAC 12 teams talking to the big 12. You've got, you know, the big 12 is like, this is our opportunity. And that's kind of, you know, 
last week what I said, this was a big opportunity for the Big 12 because the Pac-12 just lost its two biggest schools. So, you know, then there were reports coming out today. Well, maybe Oregon and Washington aren't so sold on the Big 12 and that kind of thing. Okay, well, what if Notre Dame got involved in all this, though? Like, what if Notre Dame, you know, you've, you've got the Big Ten and the SEC doing their big thing. Well, all of a sudden, if Notre Dame kind of looks to the West instead of looking to the East, and now, and again, we touched a little bit on this yesterday, but what if Notre Dame says, hey, TCU and Baylor, you know, TCU is in Fort Worth. Baylor is just south of, of the Dallas-Fort Worth, you know, the whole Metroplex out there. What if Notre Dame gets those two? Then all of a sudden, you've got the Dallas-Fort Worth TV market, which is massive. That's a top 10 market. What if you went down and said, hey, Houston, come along with this as well. Now you've got another huge market down there in Houston. So now basically you've got the two biggest markets there in the state of Texas, two biggest markets outside of Chicago, you know, in the middle of the country. And then you go and you say, hey, Colorado, why don't you come along too? You know, maybe the Arizona schools. I'm not as sold on the Arizona schools, but, you know, Phoenix is a nice size market as well. But then you go up north and it's like, you know, you've got Washington up there in Seattle and you've got Oregon. And now all of a sudden, just adding Notre Dame to this mix, you know, one, I think, makes those Pacific Northwest schools, Oregon and Washington, the two, you know, biggest, you know, kind of what's left out there in the West, you know, that that makes them attractive. And then you throw in Cal and Stanford as well, which, you know, from a football standpoint, you know, Stanford's on the way down. Cal's never really been that great. But at the same time, it's not really, you know, how good the program is, I think, doesn't matter as much right now as if you've got Cal and you've got Stanford, you've got the San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose TV market, which is also massive out Los Angeles, but it's still really big. That's a lot of TV viewership. And that's what this all comes down to is, you know, what kind of TV contract you can make out of this. So if you've got Seattle and you've got Denver, you've got San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, you've got Dallas, Fort Worth, you've got Houston and Notre Dame is involved in all this. This is how I think that you can put a legitimate, you know, contending entity opposite of these other two massive conglomerates that are trying to take over the entirety of college football right now. The Big Ten and the SEC are trying to gobble up as many people as possible. I think if 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 Notre Dame is involved in something like this, it is much better for college football and, again, college athletics as a whole than if Notre Dame, say, jumps to the Big Ten. You know, again, stay independent as long as possible. But if, as soon as Notre Dame jumps to the Big Ten – or any conference, they're just another school in another conference. You know, their TV games will get nice, nice viewership. You know, they're 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 going to get a nice TV revenue check and all that different stuff. But they, you know, they 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 can call their own shots to an extent. And again, it ensures that you don't just have two massive conferences running everything out there. So just to get this straight, I think what you're trying to say is. You know, once these conferences become aligned, the Big Ten, the SEC, when all the dust settles, you're almost proposing that Notre Dame kind of create or lead or spear the campaign to kind of create their own uh, power conference centered around themselves and then kind of pick up the scraps and say, okay, well, we'll take Houston because we like that TV market. We'll take Stanford. We'll take Washington because we'll be on the now on the West Coast as well. 
we'll take maybe some of these East Coast ACC teams that need a little bit of help, and we can stay in the nice TV market as well. And that's not an idea that I thought of myself, but it's a very interesting one, and I could get on board with that because in the at the end of the day, it, Notre Dame would be the center of attention, and everyone would kind of know that Notre Dame put this conference together after staying independent for so long. So right. I really do like that perspective, and it's not something that I've thought of before, and it's definitely, you know, you could piece together a really nice conference uh, that would, you know, take you coast to coast, essentially, yeah. uh, with basically the teams that no one else wanted. And you you would still still be, you know, Notre Dame wants to be the center of attention. Let's, you know, let's not <laughs> beat around the bush on that aspect. Notre Dame doesn't want to be the center of attention. If they can call the shots of, hey, we'll take this team, that team, and we'll go coast to coast and I, I really do like that idea, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, once the dust settles, what teams remain to kind of be, you know, uh, round up by Notre Dame, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I think everyone, <laughs> I, you know, again, there's this big X factor with the ACC because of that grant of rights contract that runs through 2036, 15 more years. You know, if any of the, I'll be it. I'll be really interested to see if any of those schools are able to either buy their way out of that, wiggle their way out of that. But again, I think it's good for everybody right now. The longer the ACC can stay intact, because at least they are another player. And even though they don't have massive, you know, the massive TV contract, they still have Clemson and they still have Miami and Florida State, which you know up and down, but as we've seen in the, you know, it's amazing, you know, one that Miami, Florida and Florida state, none of them are what they were, you know, even 15 years ago or whatever, but, you know, because of the, the, the massive talent pool in Florida, there's still opportunity there, but, you know, so again, I think it's, I think it's good that the ACC stays intact. I think that's good for Notre Dame as well. You know, it kind of helps with that leverage that we talk about that, that Notre Dame has in all this. And, I, you know, as much, again, as much as everyone's talking about everything funneling toward maybe this NFL model in college football, you've got an AFC and you've got an NFC. Do you really want there to be like 30 or 40 college football teams sitting at the top, uh, you know, as the varsity and then everybody else sitting at the bottom? I mean, there's already a hierarchy and we've seen it, in, you know, in, in who's attractive and who's not and all this kind of stuff stuff but at the same time I, I just I, I don't think that I don't think that it's good for anybody if you know all of a sudden you're just you know like pushing these others off to the side I think there needs to be you know a couple more you know it's the power five right now there there need to be a couple more conferences that stand in there and I just don't know you know even as much as a potential big 12 pac 12 merger you know could make things interesting I don't even know that that, that that's going to be enough because like when you look at who's left in those conferences right now, there's just no kind of superstar in either one of them. There'll be some decent teams, but there's, there's just no true superstar that stands out. That's really attractive when you lose the entire Los Angeles market in USC and UCLA to the middle of the country in the big 10. Yeah. And I just saw a comment here by BK mom. This isn't, or this is about football and picking up less powerful football programs won't work. I don't think that Notre Dame would put themselves in a situation like the hypothetical we were just talking about. I don't think Notre Dame would put themselves in a situation where they weren't a power conference and they didn't get a seat at the table at the end of the day, as, as long as 
And when I say seat, I'm talking about an automatic bid to the college access football to playoff. the playoff. Yeah, again, and 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 that that helps with access to the playoff if they've got this you know bigger picture affiliation with these other schools. It 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 doesn't guarantee, but it gives them a much better chance of still being in that conversation because that's still out there. You know that Notre Dame could get again if you've got the Big Ten and the SEC who are both ticked off because Notre Dame doesn't join up and Notre Dame is sitting out here as an independent trying to play it by themselves, they don't have to include, you know, Notre Dame in any of this, you know, and that's kind of where if they, if they were to gobble up, especially Oregon and Washington, and even, you know, a couple of these other remaining schools, and especially if the SEC were to get, you know, Clemson and Florida state and Miami, then, you you know, again, you're talking about two conferences basically running everything. It's like, we've got all the teams. We'll just hold, hold our own playoff and then everybody else do what you want to do, you know? And that's not good for everybody else. And that could obviously squeeze Notre Dame out of the picture. And that's why Notre Dame has leverage right now, but that leverage is only going to last so long. Yeah. It, you almost don't want to be, you know, Notre Dame's in a very good situation. We keep highlighting on that and the leverage that they have, but at the end of the day, you don't want to be the, the, the team or the guy that, you know, misses out because you sat back and you waited for every, you know, every situation, every situation, and you didn't insert yourself. And then now you're sitting there at the end of the day with uh, a less of a prize. So I don't think right. that Notre Dame wants to just sit back, you know, forever and keep waiting and waiting. I think they need to insert themselves into discussions along the way and make the decision that's best for Notre Dame. But at the end of the day, you can't lose out. You got to stay ahead of the curve. You got to be a part of the discussions and you got to make the decision that is best for Notre Dame football. Right. What about the Pac-12 and the Big 12? Like, you know, again, there's all this talk. All these Pac-12 schools have been talking to the Big 12 about maybe leaving. I kind of think they're better off, you know, rather than trying to do their own thing, I think they're better off with some kind of merger out of this. Because, again, you know, there's there's no USC-type school remaining in all this. You know, Oregon – has had some success, but, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, they had that lull and they're trying to come back up. And, you know, again, it's, you know, it's, it's Oregon. So it's not a big media market and that's ultimately more important. Washington is really only important because of the fact that it's in Seattle, not because necessarily of success, but I, what, what do you think? I, I think, I think that the two conferences would be much better off trying to merge because again, that that gives them a you know a good chunk of the country as their footprint, you know, because you've got Cincinnati, you're down in Orlando, Florida, you're all over Texas, you're in California, Colorado, mid, you know, you you've got so much, you know, even though you don't have the 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 big prize type TV markets, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, you've still got a lot of other TV markets as well as a lot of other schools. Who would be part of you? I, I just think that they would be much better forming, you know, coming to a merger rather than trying to go their own ways. You know, I like that idea too. It's almost if you take if you take where majority of the Big Twelve schools are, it's right in the middle of the country. You draw a line right down it, and you go all the way to the West Coast. If they merge, you know, that half the country is predominantly one conference in the Big the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve, and you would you would have a huge market on the West Coast. You'd have you know Central Middle of America as well. So I would I would instead of kind of poaching teams off of each other, I would be more um, I would be more inclined to, to see them 
uh, merge into one kind of big power conference like you were talking about, especially if the Big Ten and the SEC keep adding schools at the rate that they are. Right. Well, Jess, I'm going to have to wrap this uh, part of the show up because I've got an interview with R.J. Abatia. He covers USC for uscfootball.com, and I just looked up at my battery on my laptop, and it is draining. And as I said, I am uh, running on battery power for this show. So I need to get into this interview to make sure that we get through it before my battery dies here. Again, lost power at the house, so I apologize to everybody. But Jess, appreciate it. As always, you're going to be in Arizona next week, so I guess I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I'll talk. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, uh, I will. I look forward to our discussion today, and uh, I look forward to talking again next Tuesday. All right, sounds good. All right, we'll talk to you then. And uh, so, in the meantime, now again, I recorded this interview earlier before I lost my power at my house, and I'm glad that I did. But uh, let's uh, let's go. We're going to talk a little USC football. We're going to get the USC perspective as well as a lot of insights on what's going on in the Pac-12 and everything else right now. So let's do that. Let's bring in RJ. All right. Well, we're going to uh, shift a little bit right now. We've got old friend RJ Abatia with us. He covers USC football for uscfootball.com. It's a 24-7 affiliate. Thanks, thanks first of all, RJ, for taking some time with us today, especially since, obviously, uh, I'm sure you've been pretty busy in the last week or so. <laughs> it's been eventful, you know. Uh, when I uh, when I when I hopped onto the USC beat, um, it comes with expectations, as you know from the outside. And I right. have to say, over the past year, uh, they they've lived up to the expectations. Never a dull moment, and I think maybe the most exciting moment of them all happened last week. Well, yeah. Obviously, you know, we're going to start with that. And, you know, I think for the, you know, the majority of us are looking at this from the outside in, obviously, you know, it's like we're not affiliated with USC and UCLA. And here they go. The seismic move, you know, sends literal shockwaves across the college football landscape. But, but, you know, you're there, ground zero in Los Angeles. So just what do you think of it's been about a week now? Now, what do you what do you think of of what happened? First of all, well, I think there's a, there's a couple different lenses to look at. I think the longer term, bigger picture lens kind of makes this not a huge shock. Um, if you look at the big picture about where college football is very clearly headed, it seems like at this point, I think it's you know you're looking at kind of an NFL model with an NFC and an AFC. Whether that ends up being two 16-team conferences or two 20-team conferences or whatever the number ends up being, you're basically talking the championship, as it were, and the rest of college football kind of suppose. Um, so in, in that regard, I think this was coming in some form at some point. I don't think anybody, even even the you know the, the people who follow USC, I think a lot of people inside USC, you know, except for a very very close knit of movers, close group of movers and shakers, probably didn't think last week it was happening. <laughs> Certainly, the Pac-12, to the extent that they've reacted, clearly suggests this was not something that they had been given any heads up or warning about. Um, yeah. So long term, it's a little bit less of a surprise. If you look in the short term. 
at just how far behind the Pac-12 has fallen in terms of revenue, mm-hmm. prestige, on the field results. I mean, you know, you can have a chicken or egg debate about those factors, but they're all factors and they're all realities. And when you right. look at the way the Pac-12 has has trended in the last decade, um, I think you had Stanford winning the 2016 Rose Bowl from the 2015 season. They finished, I think, ranked fourth or fifth. It was a top five finish. And since then, there haven't been a lot of top five national finishes from the Pac-12, let alone playoff appearances. And and so when you look at it that way, you know, the momentum is it's negative momentum, but it's still momentum, right? That, you know, the momentum had been building for a situation like this, because really for a school like USC, who takes football as seriously as they do and wants to be up there in that top level with Alabama and Ohio state and Clemson and Notre Dame. Um, you have to have a part of where the game's going. You have to have a footprint. You have to have a toehold and there's no time like the present. What about, what about fans? What, you know, what do you think they, what do they think about this whole move? Because obviously it's going to be a big change for them going from, geographically playing games obviously close to home and you're you're in the pack 12 now you know what was the pack eight and the you know the pack 10 they'd been there pretty much forever what, what do they think about a move like this you know i think they're still so awash in the lincoln riley honeymoon phase <laughs> that i i just don't think anything's gonna take the the steam out of their their sails um the wind out of their sails i should say um at this point, you know, there's there's no games, there are no losses, so there's nothing to really be upset about. You might as well dream big, right? Um, but I, but I do think, you know, look, it's part of what they wanted when they got Lincoln Riley. The whole point is for USC to be back in the conversation with the elite teams, and going to the Big Ten um, very clearly indicates you're committed to doing that, right? And I, I don't think, you know, obviously you're the guy to talk to about where Notre Dame stands on that or where they're headed and, and all that. But I, I would sure. not be surprised to see Notre Dame in the big 10 at some point. And I wouldn't be surprised to see, like we discussed at the top, the teams who are truly elite, truly interested, truly committed financially in terms of the fan base and all of that to going after the national championship and playing college football at the highest level, you're going to have one of two choices. I think, at the end of the day. So, I mean, again, for the fans, I think there is a little bit of nostalgia and sadness. There's going to be a little bit of a, I don't want to get too dramatic, but you know, there's some fan <laughs> grieving, I think over the next couple of years, as you kind of say to yourself, wow, is this, is this the last time we watch Stanford and USC play as PAC 12 opponents or the last right. time maybe we see them play you know, if you're an Oregon state or a Washington state, is US this USC's final visit? Is this our final visit to the Coliseum? Same for the Rose Bowl with UCLA, you know? So I, it's not, I don't want to dismiss that. I just think that money wins out, but I think winning wins out. I mean, I think that this is a winning move. You can't argue it any other way at this point. Pac-12 argue differently, I guess, at this point. What's you know, the other side of this, I think this is great for both USC and UCLA. Do you think the Pac-12 
can survive this? Because you know, I know there are you know some different layers to this, both both media wise and lose the Los Angeles market. The impact of that. Do you, do you, what do you think about the viability of the conference going forward? Well, um, the short answer, as is, is no. They they can't, and I think they clearly know they can't. You know, there have been releases very very brief and to the point releases over the past two days or the past week from the PAC 12 office. Um, number one is all doors are open. All avenues are open in terms of reaching out in terms of taking calls from maybe the big 12 or some other schools or independent schools. Um, so they are, whether they wanted to or not, they are open for business in terms of adding teams or becoming part of something bigger because as they are, as it's constructed right now, there's no future for the Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-8, Pac-7, whatever you want, whatever it ends up being. Right. Um, there just isn't. You can't, you can't hand away the crown jewels of your conference from a financial, a prestige, relatability, acknowledgeability, you know, identifying. You just can't do that. There's no replacing those two schools at all. So, you know, I think. First off, you have to see who else is going to jump ship. The picture changes dramatically if you're talking about Stanford moving to the Big Ten as well. Some combination of Oregon and or Washington moving to the Big Ten as well. Suddenly now you're dealing with a situation where you're not so much going to be bringing teams in as you are going to be looking to be a part of something else. You know, And there are certainly models um and and speculation in terms of some of the newer schools you know if you talk about utah colorado arizona arizona state who i believe are the schools who went took it from pack eight to pack 10 if i'm not mistaken um going to the big 12 and i think versions of that make a lot of sense versions of a pack 12 big 12 combination make a lot of sense I don't know in the long, long term if that's just rearranging deck chairs. Um, but I do know that the Pac-12 cannot survive past the two seasons that it has with USC and UCLA still in the fold as is. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It seems to me, you know, because the... The Pac-12 was already, I think they were in a, maybe a little bit better shape than the Big 12, you know, before all this happened. But, you know, the Big 12 has obviously been scrambling and losing Texas and Oklahoma 
last year it was not quite as bad as this is for the Pac-12. It, it seems to me, though, if both conferences want to survive, that a merger is probably the best bet for both of them. What, what do you think about that aspect? I I think that's probably the smartest thing to do. Because to be honest with you, what are you proving by trying to go it alone? Right. Or go independently at this point. There's no, you're not, you're not getting anything for, for standing strong and taking in school A, B, and C, who isn't going to move the needle for you in the way that it needs to be moved. You know, if you look at the big 12, um, that's a conference that loves its football, that supports its football. And you could also argue the same about basketball. Yeah. You know, obviously it's not as significant at the end of the day when we're talking about the bottom line in terms of football. But my goodness, if you talk about some of those Pac-12 schools joining what is already, if not the best, one of the top two or three best basketball conferences in the country, you have a product. You have something sellable, right? You've got you've got good football programs in the Big 12. You've got the support like we just talked about. You've also got basketball to bring to the table, you know. Uh, you know, and, and certainly I think like, you know, Arizona joining that conference, that's appealing. That yeah. That's the basketball equivalent of USC joining the Big Ten in terms of football, right, in, in a lot of ways. So I think there's a path towards, number one, survival and maybe even flourishing to the extent that they can flourish. But, you know, it all remains to be seen. And also, you know, you have to to you have to check your flank at any moment right because <laughs> at any moment who you think you are might not be who you are that's right at that point which is you know a lesson they learned last week absolutely do, do you think and i've heard this kind of pose do you think lincoln riley when he took this job do you think he had any idea that this could be coming that's a great question um because you know, there was a lot of noise when the Oklahoma-Texas thing happened. And that, you know, did Lincoln Riley know about that? Did he want to be part of that? Did he not want to be part of that? And that's why, on some level, he's coaching at USC. Um, Mike Bone, the athletic director, and Brandon Sosna, who's a, the outgoing um, chief of staff for USC, he's taking a job with the Detroit Lions. Um those guys are pretty forward thinkers in terms of where they want USC football to be. Um, in that magical 72 hour window where <laughs> Oklahoma lost the big 12 championship game and USC circled the wagons, went out there, opened up, you know, backed up the Brinks truck, did what they had to do. Did conference realignment come up at some point in that 72 hours? I mean, maybe, but I kind of, I kind of doubt it. I think those conversations on some level happen. Um, but I also think, you know, again, this is part of a bigger sequence for, for USC. Yeah. You know, and, and to be honest with you, if you're Lincoln Riley and you're, you're here to try to win a national championship, you've done yourself a service by upgrading the quality of competition. I think there's no other way to say it now the logistics of it all you know fans are having a lot of fun talking about usc playing a 9 a.m pacific game in some <laughs> blizzard in iowa city or east right. Lansing or wherever um but i i tend to think that 
if we're just talking football and just winning football games and the balance of everything, I think they've done themselves right. They, they kind of did what they had to do. And I think, you know, at whatever point Lincoln Riley was looped in, I think he was probably all for it. The, the Pac-12 commissioner, George Klayevkov, he voted against the 12-team college football playoff format when, when he, you know, the last time it came to a vote, you know, because it didn't guarantee the Pac-12 a spot in the playoffs. Maybe this is an obvious question. Do you think if he had a mulligan, you know, like if, if you told him right now, George, you can still vote for it. Do you think that that, that he would go back and do it today? I mean, I think the safest thing to say is he would clearly revisit it. um he would happily revisit it but i also think you know george klievkoff is kind of the guy showing up at the end of the dance with a with a huge cleanup job yeah um for a mess he didn't make you know again this this mess if we're going to talk about it in those terms has been years in the making you know when the pac-12 when the Pac-12 made its media deal for the brief moment, because this is how money works, it was the most lucrative deal that any conference had signed in terms of the total dollar amount. And I also think it's, you do have to be honest and say, it's not like everyone said, well, this was a completely failed deal. They're going to get left completely in the dust. But I think when you look at the inability to get the network onto direct TV, to get the network out to people across the country. Um, when you talk about the subsequent deals, the lack of flexibility that the PAC 12 had in the wake of new deals from the big 10, from the ACC, from the SEC, and you just accumulate all of that, you know, it's just tough to overcome. It's just a perfect storm that you just can't, compete with you know when you're you're talking about early projections for usc and ucla when you're talking about a hundred million extra dollars annually coming in right there's no negotiating with that if you're if you're competing with schools who annually are bringing in that sort of revenue every year and they're building that that lead builds it's not just well we made a hundred more than you this year well two years later you've got 200 more than they do you know, and, you know, the race of facilities, resources, and what you have to devote to being a top tier football team, as Notre Dame has developed and done over the past decade, like, it's not a it's not a small check, it's a big check, right, you know, and if you're not crossing off that box, if you're not taking care of yourself in that way, you're not seriously competing. Yeah, that's amazing. When you look at Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, they all have relatively new conference commissioners who were basically, you know, like Jim Phillips in the ACC, the the TV contract he inherited, not very good. Whereas Kevin Warren gets great timing because his contract is coming up first. He's going to get bucket loads of money for it. And in, you know, the, the, the result is what we're getting right now you know the, the the windfall of of all that money that he's going to get is is really driving all of this obviously yeah i mean i do think that's a good point i mean you have to you know fans want a clear narrative storyline right they want well larry scott was terrible that's why the pac-12 died the big 10's on the rise so kevin warren must be a genius and 
Larry Scott was not great. Don't do not get me wrong. Right. But it's rarely that simple. Yeah. You know, and timing has a lot to do with it. But also, you know, you also have to, again, you could apply the same analysis to the Big Ten. The Big Ten set itself up with strong TV partnerships. Yeah. You know, they made significant infusions of cash, you know, not just the big name Big Ten programs. If you look at, I mean, Northwestern's football facility. Right. Know, it's spectacular. There's yeah. been an investment. You know, that's not that's not Michigan investing in their football stadium. You know, that's not Michigan State. You know, it's not Penn State investing. That's, right. you know, that's just, hey, we're in the Big Ten and this is now par for the course. This is what you have to do. Yeah. They got ahead of people on expansion. Yep. You know, they brought Rutgers and Maryland in. You can argue oh, were those the schools they should bring? Or have they, you know, have they really moved the needle for the Big Ten? Well, they've created those markets. You know, Rutgers gets to play Michigan every X amount of years. They play Michigan State. They play Penn State. They play Ohio State. Same thing for Maryland, you know? And so I think when you when you look at it like that, the Big Ten, yes, the timing of it is fortuitous. They are benefiting from timing. But I also think they set themselves up to benefit. Before we, uh, you know, let you go here in a few minutes, let's let's talk a little bit of actual USC football. Since, since, oh my since god! We, since we, I know, wow. it's, right? It's like who who would have thought? Let's break you know? the string. That's right. No, you know, people, Notre people Dame. Want to hear course. about football? Really? <laughs> god. I mean, what we're about a month away from training camp starting, yeah. which is kind of amazing, you know, considering everything else going on. Right now, you got to see Lincoln Riley out there in the spring, his first spring yeah. in in you know at at USC. What's you know we know about all the transfers and Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison afterwards, you know all that different stuff. What's maybe the biggest impact you actually saw from what you were able to see, you know, on field from Lincoln Riley during spring practice? From what we saw on the field and from what we've heard talking to players, I would I would say both on and off the record, to be quite honest with you, and talking to people kind of inside the building who have bridged the gap and who have who are still there and kind of have seen both things. Um, it's 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 just a different place now. It's 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 just watching Lincoln Riley coach. It's a different situation like this is. This is a properly coached football. I think the strength and conditioning and I, you know, it's, I, I think it's fair to fold your hands and kind of wait till the fall, but because every program loves to tout its strength and conditioning, every program has the most amazing strength and conditioning coach you've ever met. Right. You know, everyone, everyone sells that to a certain extent. And so we do have to kind of wait, but the impact that Benny Wiley has made, you can just visually see it on a number of the players. You could see it during spring. And it's happening now as we speak this summer. I mean, this is this is a football team and a football program that is that is under very elite, very strong leadership right now. And, you know, the question I always get asked is, you know, what what's realistic? What's how good are they gonna be? You know, and of course, again. I've used this metaphor a hundred times, but, you know, USC football fans, you know, they are like kids on Christmas morning, 
rushing down to open their presence and they want to <laughs> open up a national championship present. They want a Pac-12 championship. They want, you know, 11 wins is, is okay, but we want 12, we want 13. That's, you know, and in year one, I think that's asking a lot. Um, but I will say they are going to unquestionably be a better football team. Um, I don't think there's any way, shape, or form about it. How far they can go in year one, they have a favorable schedule. Right. Um, That's the thing really that stands only, out to me. You know, like you want, you know, you can talk, well, are they really going to be that good? It seems like you, you know, it kind of comes down to Utah and Notre Dame to me, don't you think? Well, yeah, but I think, you know, that when, when you look at a schedule, the, the thing that everyone kind of doesn't do is you have to look at the cumulative impact of the schedule. In other words, you know, last year, for example, I think I'm forgetting, I think I'm getting the sequence. I think it was they played Utah, had the bye week, and then played Notre Dame. So both those games were losses, obviously. But, you know, you play Utah and Notre Dame two, uh, two times in three weeks, you're not in a great place physically. That's true, yeah. You know, and so to look at the schedule individual and say one by one, well, they, they have more talent than that team. They should probably win. They have more talent than that team. Well, yeah, but you don't know what game one is going to do to your game two. Game two is going to do your game three. And sure. the other thing is, is that it's not that these elite elite programs don't always beat elite teams. What they do is they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And what USC has not done you know, people talk about, well, they can't beat this team. They can't beat Notre Dame. They can't beat Utah. But it's the games that they give away right? that have put them, you know, below the tier that they want to be at. And the the culture that you have to have where you don't have a slip up, you know, for nine, eight, nine, ten weeks, it's easy to get up for Notre Dame. It's easy to get up for UCLA. It's easy to get up for Utah on a certain extent, right? But Oregon State's coming to the Coliseum. Why are we excited about that? Why are we going to be up for that? And sure. it showed on the field. I mean, Oregon State came into the Coliseum and ran them over. You know, I mean, that was just the reality. And so, you know, I think the culture and the mindset and all those things are headed in the right direction. Whether they're going to be there on time for September 3rd and run them through their first year with Lincoln Riley. With, with, again, an unprecedented roster, that's the other part of this, right, is that this isn't the same guys who have been there for three or four years. This is a team that is a new team. They don't have – they've never played a game together. This team has never played agents, a game together. Yeah, yeah. So who knows how many stumbling blocks they're going to be. I think you'd if you're looking at it as an opponent, you'd rather get USC in the first month than the last month. Um. But it's all hypothetical at this point. But I, I think they're going to be much, much better. They're just going to be a better coached football team. Um, and that's going to manifest itself in more wins. I don't think they're quite ready to step up amongst the elite elite. But um, it should be it, – it's going in the right direction. And they should be a lot of fun to watch this year. That I'm very sure of. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's skilled talent everywhere, especially with all those transfers. Is it fair, and I'll this will be the last thing I'll ask, is it, is it fair that probably going into the into training camp, at least two of their, you know, top three questions, if not the first two, are just 
what's going to happen with the two lines, both offensive and defensive? So um, the offensive line, uh, very quietly, because, you know, no one pays attention to anything good that happens in a losing season. But the offensive line stepped forward last year. They stepped forward in a lot of different categories. I wouldn't call them elite at the end of last year, but they were good. They were a good offensive line. And one of the biggest breaks that Lincoln Riley got, I think, is that despite all the transfer portal fluctuation, the line is basically intact. And they are experienced guys. You talk about Brett Nealon, he's going to be a, I think this might be his sixth year on campus, maybe fifth, but senior, you've got senior guys who are good. You know, Andrew Voorhees, they've got four out of the five spots pretty well identified on the offensive line. So I don't know if they're ready to take that next step under a first-year offensive line coach, but they're going to be good. Now, the defensive line is yes. You know, their best player is Tuli Tuipulotu. We know him. He's a pretty known commodity. He's an all-conference level guy. After that, there's a lot of question marks. I think that, you know, for going back to your to your initial query, I think if I'm if I'm looking at the two areas where you're holding your breath the most, I think one is defensive line and two is at cornerback, where they have to replace both their starters. Um, and 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 the fact that the favorites right now are transfers um, is dicey. I mean, you know, they got Makai Blackman from Colorado who got hurt in spring. So he didn't even get a full spring camp experience, but I think most people have him at least penciled in, if not penned in as a starter. And then they picked up Jacoby Covington from Washington after spring practice. And you've still got some younger guys in house, but none of them did anything in the spring to make you think they were going to run away with a starting job. So I think big picture, the question mark is with every Lincoln Riley team, will they defend enough to win? I don't think anyone, there's, there's no one questioning at this point, if they're going to score, they're going to score points. There's no question about it. There's just too much there. um, Not to, and he's, he's Lincoln Riley. Like that's the other thing is it's not like we're just going to roll the talent out. These guys are going to be ready and well (laughs) prepared defensively. That's the question. How good can they be? And if you're answering that question, you're looking at the defensive line and cornerback positions to start with. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, it won't be until Thanksgiving weekend in the Coliseum when Notre Dame and USC play. So everything we we could be looking at a probably will be looking at a completely different set of questions by then. I I'm sure the only thing that we can count on is we have no idea. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Just like we had no idea this was coming last week. <laughs> RJ, it's always great catching up to you. Appreciate your time. And and hopefully we will catch up to you uh, later on going into that Thanksgiving weekend and, and kind of preview what's what's going on with both of these teams at that point. Great to talk to you, buddy. Have a great summer, Sean. Thanks for having me. You too. RJ Abatia from uscfootball.com. So we're going to kind of uh, wrap it up with that and again appreciate your (laughs) patience sticking with us here tonight talked to rj earlier today fortunately recorded that because of his schedule before the power went out in my house so that ended up working out very well and as you can see again as we go from one interview you know the interview with rj to me being here by myself the background you know if you're watching on youtube right now 
looks a little bit different. But thanks to everyone, as always, for stopping by uh, on the YouTube live stream. Tomorrow's Thursday already. I guess that's what happens when you've got a holiday week. We get a quick week, so we'll be in tomorrow. We'll continue this conversation, super conferences, you know, where everybody's going. Uh, you know, kind of been keeping an eye on the chat, <laughs> keeping an eye on the chat and kind of seeing where people are going. But uh, Seven Mule says, can't wait to see that experienced O-line. Ha, 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 yes. That's right. That's right. So, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll see what that looks like. We'll see what that looks like for USC as this season goes on. Again, you know, when, when you play them for Notre Dame in game 12 at the end of the season, Thanksgiving weekend, a lot can happen between now and then for both teams, basically. And they've got, both got, obviously, new head coaches, high-profile new head coaches, high-profile programs. So we'll see what all that looks like. Things, things, things will definitely look much different in – week 12 or week 13 than they are going to in weeks one, two, three, you know, whenever early on in the season. Again, thanks to everybody for stopping in today, whether it's YouTube, the audio podcast, we'll be back Thursday for our final show of the week. And then with no holiday next week, of course, we will have a full week. Well, not a full week, but four shows next week anyway. So we've got a lot, a lot coming up, a lot more conversations as we lead toward fall camp. Again, we're about a month or so away from fall camp opening up around the country, so uh, we'll we'll have a lot with that going on as well. And you know, Brian's got you know more shows for you, and they've always got the Friday mailbag. And I saw some people talking about super chats and all that. We you know we don't do like full blown mailbags like Brian does on you know and Vince do on Friday, but we try to keep up you know in this YouTube live chat with you know answering questions and throwing questions and queries and all that kind of stuff up there. So always feel free to contribute if you are uh, viewing live. But uh, thanks to everybody for uh, for stopping in once again. Don't forget, like, subscribe on the YouTube. You can uh, follow on the uh, audio podcast, comment, and rate as well. We will talk to you on Thursday on IB Nation Sports Talk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.